everybody. Welcome back to the Diversity Center Alumni Podcast Series. Again, I'm Angie Hambrick, and I am the Assistant Vice President of Diversity, Justice, and Sustainability in Student Life. And this time, we are going to talk about something really interesting that I'm really excited to talk to YBs about called Performative Allyship. So this time around, um, I've invited some of my friends, some of my white friends. First is Dr. Jennifer Smith, who is Dean of Inclusive Excellence and the Affiliate Faculty in Women's and Gender Studies. Hello, Jennifer. Hello, Angie. How you doing? I'm good. Okay. Doing good. Yeah. Right. Great. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> second is Lace Smith. Lace is the Associate VP for Marketing Communication. What's up, Lace? Hey, hey. AVP. AVP. <laughs> and third, D-Center alum. Extraordinaire Boo Dotson. Boo. Boo graduated in 2012 with a major in political science. Right now, he is in a concurrent program where he is both getting his law degree and a master's in international affairs and econ. Welcome, Boo. Thank you. Welcome back. It's so good to see your face. It's great to see you too. So, performative allyship, what is it? I can do a little beginner start if we want. Sure. Um, I think the quick, quick and dirty is being fake. I think that's a my my first entry into that um, of showing yourself as uh, not genuinely for a cause, for assisting people who uh, have long been marginalized, and just so that you can feel better. And it's uh, yeah, I think that people can take it away from there. Sure. Yeah. What prompted this conversation for me was I was at a. Um, conference uh, on race earlier this semester, and I was surrounded by people who I perceived to be white. Um, And throughout the keynote and the conference sessions, there was just a lot of uh, finger snapping um, by by white folks and a lot of... um, a lot of vigorous head nodding and verbal uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh throughout the uh, keynote and the uh, conference sessions to the extent that it was distracting. Um, and uh, so so for me, it, was, it became um, a performance of wokeness um, that actually distracted from mm-hmm. the content of the piece. And so I just keep asking myself, what is it for? Um, who's the audience? Um, and I think the audience is for other people people to, to see those individuals as as woke um, and not like other white people, at least in this instance. Yes. Uh, I think it, all that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's definitely trying to get into a, a group via like appropriation of mm-hmm. cause. And so you, it becomes this sort of theater and it has a few different facets. One is an over-aggressive, let's say, yesing of, mm-hmm. of different uh, topics that come up or uh, throwing other people uh, of same identity under the bus. Uh, if, if that seem as advantageous, it's, it's about talking about it, but less about going through the different ways of, of actually making progress. Jennifer, you mentioned the word woke. Yeah. Um, woke is one of those, for me, those those words or those terms that has just been commodified and bastardized and used by everyone um, to prove that they are without actually kind of knowing what it is. And mm-hmm. so I wanted us to talk a little bit about woke. Like, what is being woke? What does that look like? How does that show up? And um, why Why does everybody want to be woke? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? It's interesting because woke as a term indicates that it's a, it's a finite action that you are woke and that's the end of the the process um that somehow you become aware and um that's the end of the game um and so i think that's 
plays into the performative allyship in a bit. If people think that being aware is enough to um, be engaged and be in solidarity, then that's where the action stops. And so I see even just the term itself indicates that it's um, something that's done rather than a process that's continuous um, and self-reflective, um, I think. Yeah. What do you all think? I definitely agree with that. I think being an advocate for other people is a lifelong process. It's, you know, it's just like education never stops and awareness. You can always be more understanding and aware of the world around you. And yeah, it's not, it's not a checklist where it's just like, all right, I've done this and like, I care about this issue. And, but I also like need to like appease this like weird social pressure that, that doesn't even matter. It's, it's clearly showing that I, and I think all of us would agree that you're, you're not really in for the real and right reasons. And just like any other, frankly, any other subject, like you can always know more about something and, and keep going. I was just at a conference um, and the theme was envisioning the woke Academy. Mm. Um, and I wonder, and I've been thinking a lot about, you know, the differences between when a person of color says woke mm-hmm. and what they're thinking about and when white folks say it, and this performative piece about being woke. And for me, I'm black, if y'all didn't know. Um, when I say this, being woke in my community, it's really about being aware of oppressive systems that I kind of um, swim in and also that I perpetuate and also that impact me. And so um, I wonder when white folks say woke and kind of seriously and when they joke about being woke, um, what are they really trying to say? What are they really um, what do they really mean? Is a, is it about being aware of these systems or is it a way to like be performing and saying what you think is the right thing to say in order to, you know, get the black pad? Mm-hmm. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that if you, it's sort of like with ally, if you, li- <laughs> if you label yourself ally, that defeats the, mm-hmm. defeats the purpose. It's not an identity or it's not a label. It's a doing. And you don't get to label yourself that. Um, so it's sort of, I think woke is similar in that you don't get to determine if you're woke. I think the people that you're working alongside of for, I guess, collective liberation, they get to decide that, uh, at least in the instance of white allies when it comes to race. Yeah, that's just what I'm thinking about with with that is that I don't know that I if if someone is labeling themselves as woke um it becomes performative like they want the black pat or their social justice button or sticker that is again about being visible to others as woke or as an ally rather than actually just being quiet and doing the work mm-hmm. I was kind of thinking about this also on the car ride down from Seattle uh, and I'm I go to law school and I see people who kind of label themselves as such. And I kind of think to myself sometimes, I'm like, it's just a lack of awareness of like these structures that are hundreds of years old and a lack of understanding that white people have benefited from this exact system. And just because you're woke about whatever doesn't really represent the fact that you've benefited so much from a system that started well before you were even born. And it seems to me like there's so much work to do yeah, it's like a waste of time <laughs> to me. Yeah, and thinking about ourselves in higher education, um, I often wonder how often folks who claim to be woke and are in higher education think about kind of the oxymoron of that, <laughs> that um, you are in a system that was created by white men for white men 
that you attend institutions that are probably most likely on stolen land, indigenous land, that you are a part of just systems that were built on the backs of other people. And so how, how do you balance or reconcile or think about or be conscious about that you are in, in higher education, you are a part of a system of domination and subordination that you choose to be in a place like this or a place like this, meaning in higher education, in the academy. And what that says when you judge someone else for not being woke or not paying attention, those sorts of things. I think there's a, a real temptation when you get into it and you spend, you know, six months realizing about structures and start tracing the lines and you start realizing how big institutional racism is. And when you're when you're in that stage of identity development and you immerse yourself, six months seems like a, a long time. And so particularly if you start looking around and, and look at where's my merit badge for six months mm-hmm. of um, work and oppression. Oh, one um, women's and gender studies class gets you the patch. Oh, yeah? Saying. No, no. <laughs> exactly. You heard it here. <laughs> Majors <laughs> and minors apply. <laughs> the sash here. I, I think people start looking around because it's, it's tough work and they want the trophy. They want, they want the, the access. And, and that's, that's a dangerous sort of slippery slope. Well, I think People want the access because it somehow releases them of their complicity in the system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think Definitely. coming to terms with the fact that we are complicit, we are part of systems that harm other people and people that we really care deeply about is really difficult for people to hold on to and integrate into their sense of self. Yeah, and I think being aware of your privileges in general and then moving like keep the ball rolling like having an american passport is a huge privilege and being a white male who is heterosexual is a massive privilege so having a college degree having a college degree is a huge privilege having family business to inherit is a huge privilege um Mm -hmm. you know there's i think that's something that it's like oh well it's anecdotal like oh i'm my guilt is like pushed away and it's just like well there's there's this it has some solidarity um for our society and understand that, as Angie was saying, like this whole project was built on the backs of a lot of different people. And though you can't change like things that happened in the past, you can rage ahead for what's in the future. Jennifer, you mentioned finger snapping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. As a marker <laughs> or an action of someone who's performing allyship, what are some other actions that show up? What are some other ways that folks visually perform being an ally? Vigorous head nodding. That, you can't yeah. see us, mm-hmm. but I'm breaking yeah. my neck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. The uh huh, uh huh, yes, yes. Uh, mm, 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 yes. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just say like a, uh, <laughs> I'm just going to just say as a. Sex sounds. Well, there's that. I was going to just say as a Luddite, like just using the internet for me. I just like, I stay, I stray away from the internet fully just because I, I feel like it's just a void of wasted space a lot of times. <laughs> Wow. And, I, and I know that. <laughs> Dang. But I know. I know. Like I know. It's it's kind of brutal. But I think we kind of we tr- we trap ourselves in these in these little echo chambers. Mm-hmm. And like, what is that really accomplishing in a lot of ways? And um, you know, though I think it's a tool and it's very useful. I I've, I've noticed that, especially this is a criticism of my generation. I think that just people spending way too much time on that kind of reaffirming or kind of just saying like, oh, this is where I get my information. I, having a hard critical look on where you learn about the world, I think is a really important thing. And, and just kind of 
the the only way you do it is going through your 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 feed seems really dangerous to me and um you know for instance like this is kind of a weird um reference but like I remember during the Arab Spring, people would be like, oh, well, this is like the Twitter revolution. It's mm -hmm. like, no, it's the ideas of why people were willing to go into the street and get shot by their own government. That like that idea that life could be better is the reason why. It's not because they had Twitter. It's That's just a tool. Mm -hmm. And it I it kind of like drives me a little insane sometimes. When I, and I see it and I'm not at my own institutions where it's just like people won't talk in class, but then they'll just like rage on mm -hmm. online. And it's like... Whose purpose is that serving? It seems like that's yours and not society's. Anyway, that's my little rant against. Uh, I'm not getting a job from Apple. At this <laughs> <point>. <laughs> in a um, a blog post on Black Girl Dangerous back in June of 2015, Princess Harmony Rodriguez mm -hmm. um, defined ally theater, which is exactly what you're talking about, Boo, as the performance played out on social media for all to see. Gets you kudos, likes, faves, shares, and even career opportunities. So this this theater of if I um, like something or frowny face, now you can frowny face or ha ha <laughs> or something on on Facebook now um, around some sort of oppression. If I can respond to that, then that makes me like engage in an ally and the the danger of that. Yeah, no, I, I totally. I, you yeah. feel that? Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, I'll be honest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe I'm, but I also just don't use social media, so maybe I'm just, uh, maybe I'm biased in general. You might be. What do you think, Lace? <laughs> you're, you're social media. You teach courses <laughs> in social media and how folks show up. Yeah. What do you think about that? Uh, I think it's it's very real as folks try to assert themselves with status, uh, and this is their choose medium to do it. They'll try to poke fun, group shame, bring up some some solid points, but do it with a reply all, make each other laugh, or for the LOLs, the lulls. Mm -hmm. It's definitely temptation to self-affirm your own stances and, and to gain popularity. And so you, you got to check yourself to see who are you doing it for. Yeah. Um, and is it is it for the internet troll or using them as your stage? Are you trying to spread peace and understanding or are you really just trying to make yourself feel better? I have a question for you. Do you think that's because it's like the easiest method that people think is maybe on its face helpful? Like... Why do you think that that of all things is like the the avenue? I think it's the most access and the a way of getting crowds on your side. Uh, yeah. So if you are a person that's trying to, I think it's complicated because you could be doing many different things in yeah. in one tweet. If you are trying to take someone down, um, if you are trying to build yourself up, that's th that's one accessible way of, of being able to do it on a on a grand stage, yeah. and then you get that hit of dopamine once a like comes through, uh, and certainly if you go viral for for public shaming, you can feel real good for the short term period of time. But who are you doing it for? So, do you think then there's a, a place for? social media activism and allyship. I think of some folks that I follow on Facebook and Twitter, like um, Son of Baldwin, mm -hmm. the love life of an Asian guy who, it's not their only platform, but it is, for me, it is the platform that I see and follow and that sort of thing when it comes to issues of injustice. So mm -hmm. where where does social where does social media kind of fit in true solidarity and, and allyship? So it's complicated, right? 
I'm a great believer in the accessible nature of information on the internet and uh, the rise of leadership and the rise of different voices. I'm also understanding of the dangers because you have like black Twitter kind of rising up, mm -hmm. showing solidarity, talking with each other and with communities, um, sharing resources, sharing amazing art and activism, sharing anger. Sharing books. I mean, just to, to to be able to to get on a thread and to have conversations with anywhere in the world. But there's some messed up stuff that happens. Like people will in impersonate black people on Black Twitter Yo. to sort of disrupt <laughs> yeah. what is happening on on that in that solidarity. So in that community, there is consistent danger. Is that okay? That's a good answer. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just cut that there. <laughs> you didn't know the question, but you answered something. <laughs> I liked it. I, I, I just get caught up into people impersonating people, and I'm like so pissed. I'm just I didn't like, know that happened. Why? I didn't either. I didn't know oh. Well, there's this whole thing now on Instagram. Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit different, but this whole thing on Instagram where these like Instagram models who people thought were black are actually white, and yeah. they've been like spray tanning themselves to look like they're like Jennifer's complexion. Mm -hmm. Was, I'm really white. She really white. <laughs> and then like my complexion, I'm like medium brown. And so they're spray painting themselves just that dark and they have all these wow. people fooled about it. So this, anyway, I know it's yeah. a different topic, but it's still like the what happens on social media. It's true. It's true. And you, it's like driving in a car. Like you feel like you have steel around mm -hmm. you. You can cut people off and it won't hurt you. This is kind of what social media does. It puts you in a little bubble and then you can do pretty much anything you want and not have to look at someone in the face yeah. to be able to. Yeah. And so uh, at the core level, I think we need to be teaching about social media and teaching about online identity management. And yeah, I think it, I'm not just saying this because I taught after I left PLU, but you know, I, education is a large part of this and like in any societal issue but I think something that like being a, a true advocate is kind of finding that like whether whatever topic that is these like structural inequalities are in every from anthropology to zoology like they they exist everywhere and I think finding that true whatever that particular issue that interests you is like run with that like there's huge I mean I, I taught in Detroit for two years and that I actually from that, like, I learned a lot about infrastructure and how it is so utterly racist And for the last 100 years. And I had no idea about that. And I think kind of going back to your point about, like, social media, I've been trying really hard to read just long-form journalism <laughs> and just, like, just reading, like, a really long article about one particular thing. Because I think in, like, today's society, we kind of just, like, run through things so mm -hmm. quickly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with a president in the White House who constantly just, like, turns out things just to like keep his media darlings in line you know i think taking a step back sometimes and like taking a deep breath and going into a deep dive on something that you care very much about in the context of raging against a really unequal system is anybody can do that read the new yorker that's what i'm trying to say <laughs> <laughs> my friends make fun of me for reading the new yorker so no, they don't. I just talk about it all the time. So they make fun of me talking about it all the time. I love it. I, I, I do too. It's no, amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, I really So I guess my next question is whether or not we all perform allyship at some point. And what does that look like? What are your experiences with performing? I think uh, the excessive uh, finger snapping. So that's, I did Teach for America and they're like very into that. Um, <laughs> did you finger snap a lot? Did you do it? I did. Yeah. I did a little bit, but then you know, it's just like it just, it just didn't feel right. Um, but um, why not? Why not? I don't know. It just I didn't. It wasn't my thing. Okay. But I did do it, and I felt like it was just this like uh, and I. 
and you feel dirty afterwards. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's like it's some sort of cult that I, you know. <laughs> but um, no, it, I, it came up a lot where we would have. I mean, in this organization, there's a lot of like weekend work that you do, and it's it's talking a lot about very serious things. And if you don't know the organization, it basically recent college graduates go teach in low income areas around the United States. So it brings in a wide swath of people, and that was I definitely did a couple times that I like I overplayed like my enthusiasm, I guess, to feel like I was you know a part of this movement. And I didn't mean to call it a cult. I'm sorry, but. <laughs> That's that, fine. That <laughs> itself. That felt. That felt wrong. And actually, yes. like, whenever Not I see it. for America. Whenever I see, <laughs> when I, oh, I do, like, I'll see it at UW Law sometimes, and I'm like, oh, please, <laughs> please don't do that. I don't know. I just, what, what's wrong with clapping? Like, <laughs> yes. I don't know. Clapping seems fine. I think sitting quietly and listening is just fine, too. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I, but yeah, it changed, exactly. It changes yeah. by positionality, yeah. though, in yeah. terms of where you're sitting. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I think, again, at this conference I was at, as a white individual, I think sitting attentively and listening mm-hmm. and taking things in while, you know, other folks who may have identified with the speakers in terms of their racial identities were really enthusiastically engaged because they're connecting with the material in a different way. That's that's their business and they they have every right to express themselves and how they want. But for white folks, I think sitting and listening and being attentive is 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 good enough. I, I, I struggle with it. I, I think there's a constant trying to check myself of, am I sitting quietly, respectfully, and listening, engaged, or I'm, am I tapping out of the conversation? Mm-hmm. And then when I enter into the conversation and I, and I do take up space, am I centering the voices that I need to be centering, mm-hmm. or am I just trying to get the claps? And when I look around, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, am I, am I listening to the full group, or am I just taking more chances for me? Um, Passing the yeah. mic is one of those yeah. performative things that I kind of drives me a mm. little, has me feeling some sort of way when white folks... White women in particular say that I'm not going to speak. I'm going to pass the mic to whoever, a person of color, and I'm going to sit down. And what I usually find is that for them, passing the mic means I just don't want to engage because Mm -hmm. it's uncomfortable Mm -hmm. or somebody called me out or this is the work of you people. So you Mm -hmm. all do the work, the emotional labor, um, teach me, and I'm going to sit back and be a consumer of your stuff and Mm -hmm. your story and your trauma. Um, And I don't have to do anything. So like passing the mic, I think probably I'm sure came from a a place in the beginning where it was all about centering the voices of those who aren't heard. And it came, I'm sure came from a very honest place and a a just place. But now it's just been one of those things that it's like performing the allyship that I'm going to say that I'm going to pass it over to you. And so, yes, I am that ally. I got your back, girl. I see you. And that bothers me. I hate passing the mic. I'm seen as passing the mic. Does everyone see everybody, me passing the mic? Everybody has to see me pass yeah. the mic. Like, I can't yeah. just not say anything. I got to get up and say, I'm going to pass yeah. the mic, right? Yeah. So It's about being, the point of allyship is so much about being seen and mm-hmm. being heard as an ally. Mm-hmm. And I think audience is important there. And if you're speaking to a group of predominantly white individuals, that's the job of the white person mm-hmm. in that instance, I think, in many ways, to to have that conversation and to engage in that conversation, um, not to to supplant a person of color's voice, but to speak alongside folks of color to communicate to, to white individuals about allyship and solidarity and moving together um, in a way that's that's going forward. I think one of the things with performative allyship 
another key feature is sort of, you know, slapping down all of, like white folks in general. And like, that's your job. If you're white, um, at least in racial movements, that's your job is to talk with other white folks. And I think where I've been guilty of performative allyship is the eye roll when a white person says mm-hmm. something really annoying at a conference or the vigorous head nod. Um, I've done that a few times, but I think mostly I just get really impatient with white folks sometimes <laughs> um, and forget I'm there too. Like I'm swimming in the soup. I'm part mm-hmm. of the problem. Um, I'm in the mess and being patient and generous and thoughtful as I would want someone to be with me as we try to walk our way out of this kind of mess that we're in. People are still figuring things out. Yeah. And you got to kind of like, and, and everyone is still figuring yeah. it out. Like there's no one person who has like any sort of silver bullet. And I think just being a genuine advocate, just being a genuine person <laughs> is is kind of the heart of what we're kind of yeah. after here. I think that's like, in my opinion, that you you just need to truly, and it's like somebody like came to you and you kind of knew them and they're like, hey, like I really need a kidney and you're my only match. And you're like, cool, well, let me make you some soup. It's like, that's not really, atta- like, I'm glad you feel better. <laughs> like, but you're not, you're not getting to the real heart of it. Mm-hmm. And it, that means, you know, I in some of our readings, it kind of talked about like, white people go home to Thanksgiving and Mm -hmm. then they just have like the, like Mm -hmm. they're like pretty liquored up alt-right uncle who's just, you know, saying something. That's your time to shine. Like, Mm -hmm. and that, and that doesn't mean like confronting somebody in a like aggressive way. That means having a real discussion. You know, I think that's just true in our political system at this time too. It's just like, there's, there's just a lack of people willing to have a, a, a serious conversation and, 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 people be wrong and people and everyone's wrong like mm-hmm. in, in their own way eventually i mean I, I don't mean to be so sound so bleak but yeah i think that that's yeah. just having a real conversation and being able to i remember when i was here like angie would always say like i'm gonna say pg way of like you're in the mud and you need to kind of just oh, keep it rolling sitting in the shit yeah. it's yeah. okay to say <laughs> yeah. all know and it. like you gotta <laughs> all right i just you know yeah. um <laughs> no snaps yeah no, <laughs> just don't snap but anyway yeah i just you know you gotta you gotta be willing to do that and that's yeah. just being a genuine advocate yeah we talked about dinner tables and, and we're heading into the holidays you could check yourself of like you know are you doing the work when people are not looking at you yeah mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and and that that includes you know taking down your your social justice saliness to help someone at a 101 level or a 99 level start yeah. start onboarding um, yeah. and helping people connect and knowing when you need to go to the next level too right yeah knowing exactly. when somebody else is kind of teaching you something mm-hmm. and that you kind of need to yeah take note mm-hmm. yeah. yeah well cuz we've all been there and i think this came out of i think you were telling me about this in, in Robin D'Angelo's book, White Fragility, that um, you know, if you think about an identity where you may not be privileged, so as a, as a, as a woman, I'm not privileged by um, uh, gender. I mean, I am because I'm cis, but um, if you think about you know, someone who identifies as a man and the, when they drive you crazy because they're being sexist, and then think about your um, privileged identities, you are that person mm-hmm. for people who you don't share privilege yeah. with. And I yeah. always think about that at mm. least once a day yeah. when someone starts driving me nuts and I think about I am that person for someone mm. who's a person of color, for someone who's queer, for someone who's trans, for someone who's undocumented. Like yeah. I am that person for those individuals. And that mm. I hope checks me a little bit when I start rolling my eyes at my white peers or uh, my cis peers or whoever I'm frustrated with at any given point in time. So we're all really annoyed by um, folks who perform allyship, but other than the annoyance and rolling our eyes and like, oh, here they go again. 
Why is performative allyship dangerous? I think because it's superficial. Um, it's not the work. Um, and if people think it's the work, then we're not going to make substantive change. And so if people believe that snapping their fingers, nodding their head, um, never shutting up um, is, is, you know, that's the work, then, my God, we're not going to get very far because um, we're losing a lot of energy with the flapping of the hands around um, and not actually thinking about structural inequality um, and our place in that. So I think it breeds complacency. Yeah. Yeah. I do think it breeds complacency. I would really agree with that. And it breeds um, arrogance. Oh, mm. you know, I'm a solid Midwestern gal, so we don't like a whole lot of like showy things. And so part of my aggravation with performative allyship is that it's just drawing attention to yourself and you don't need it. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it does breed arrogance. Um, and like I said, we're all like boo citing Angie said we're all sitting in the shit together in some way, shape or form. We not, may not be in the same pile of shit, but we're in somebody else's shit at some point in time. Um, Thank you for citing your sources. There was, there's this movement about, um, Citing black women. Uh -huh. And thank you for citing that source. Citation is a feminist practice. Absolutely. Sarah Ahmed. Okay. She said that. Yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. Unsight note. Uh huh. Yep. Um, but yeah. yeah, anyway, breathe arrogance. And um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's also just, I think going back to the genuine comment, like the, it, it shows just a lack of humility. Yeah. Like it, and it's just, this is just, <laughs> in a lot of ways, this happens outside the context of inequality and and fighting against structural <laughs> racism in our society. It's just like, just be real and mm -hmm. just be a real advocate. And if you truly care, it, it's not about like what somebody else is thinking about you. It's, it's that, that you care about this issue because it affects everyone. Mm -hmm. And find, and maybe you, maybe somebody hasn't found their way into it, but find your way into it, you know, go start with what you like and, and see how you can kind of make the world a better place. Um, yeah, I think it's dangerous because you can become really good about saying the right things. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and um, without saying just... anything at all. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 So we know what performative allyship is. Then let's talk about, and you all uh, can give some examples of how you hope to live this in your own lives, or or what you aspire to do. What does true solidarity look like then? It's a big question. I know. Yeah. That's again. That's why performing stuff is so <laughs> easy. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. It's yeah. so easy because yeah. you don't have to ask and think about these bigger things. It's like something that can't be turned off. I think that's something that. Yeah. I. I think that's just something that you gotta like really own and know that like marginalization. Like white people, they don't sit around every morning and wake up and they're like, oh, like I'm really thinking about being white today. Like that's not that's not a reality for white people and. I think being very aware at, at, and like trying to at all times be cognizant of the fact that there is this structure of society that has been created to this point. You know, it's not, it's not like a switch that can be turned on and turned off. And being an advocate on all shores to me seems like a really strong – and that, that, that gets back to kind of like when you go home for Thanksgiving and like your, your mom says something that really isn't sitting with, well with you have the discussion it's not like she's gonna throw you out the door you know that to me seems real and not just like okay well I'll get on my phone and do this five minute thing and check that box I'm out of here sort of like a, a compass that directs your decisions 
um, throughout the day in terms of who you talk with, what you read, what you watch, what you eat. And it's a process of constant self-reflection and self-education, sharing that education with others. I think for me, teaching and thinking about the texts that I select, questions that I ask my students to consider, um, my own kind of modeling of humility and my embrace of kind of our perpetual profound ignorance um, as, a, as a centerpiece of my teaching <laughs> philosophy. I love that. We are profoundly ignorant people. We will always be profoundly ignorant. And I think holding that is really important for not only humility, but just sheer curiosity. Um, and um, I think that work is, is part of that, that solidarity. So, yeah. I think being dedicated to uplifting stories, representation matters, and going to a, a wellspring of our community to look at how we tell our story, what narratives are out there, what counter narratives are out there. I've heard both Angie do work with counter narrative and Jennifer uplift that Peely is not afraid of exposing our warts. Mm-hmm. If there is issue, you know, let's let's talk about it, let's address it. Don't just start funneling uh, the easy narratives through because this false identity of a, a sort of a monolith of our, our story, but to, to really sort of uplift the community and how we are and in our, our, what's it, wonderful? Mm-hmm. Is it, wonderfully complex. What's your what tattoo you say? About? I just told you yeah. it's oh, wonderfully okay. complex. Okay. So I'm going to edit, I'm going to edit this anyway. You can't, no. This is not be real. You need to listen. Yeah. <laughs> this is true. This is exactly what's it's happening. It's your language yeah. and your choice, Lace. <laughs> it is. I think also going after something that you care about. Mm-hmm. I think that's just something that like I I noticed like when I was an RA, like people getting into things that like as they learned and like kind of went on their own educational journey, um, they kind of saw like, wow, there's, you know, like the big hallmarks that like, people always go like education, criminal justice reform. But like you can find a variety of different things where there are people underrepresented mm-hmm. in professorships or food deserts if you're into nutrition like finding your thing i think is just is such a a big hallmark of it and and just going after that with a lot of passion and drive you you're never going to be a specialist on any Mm -hmm. subject but you can Mm -hmm. get to be like an apprentice in one and i think that that's you know i I was kind of talking about earlier like keeping in mind always that like there's been like what 130 supreme court justices and seven have been from underrepresented groups and it's like, is that really the proportion of people in this country? Is that really representative of our democracy? No. And and that speaks to a larger issue. I think just always keeping that in mind. And that's not just every two years when like the polls are around. It's mm-hmm. that that's an everyday thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and I think people aren't gonna switch the face of the Supreme Court in one fell swoop. I think people get paralyzed so they don't know where to start. But if we're thinking yeah. about changing the face of the Supreme Court, it's mentoring people from marginalized backgrounds to go to law school yeah. mm-hmm. and to filter them into and, yeah. and, and into educational systems and to, to give them access to those exactly. pipelines that can change the yeah. face of the Supreme Court. Um, exactly. And that can start from, you know, someone being a kindergarten teacher. Um, yeah. So we always end our Decenter alumni podcast with shout outs. So who you want to shout out? Because they're all looking at me like, huh? <laughs> so I... Just returned from um, a conference, ASH, um, the Association for the Study of Higher Education. And I would like to shout out all the black and brown women who presented their research, who centered the voices of women of color in their work, and who were not afraid 
to talk about me search and to do mm-hmm. research that mattered to them and that centered our voices. So shout out to all the women out there, um, black and brown women out there who are in the academy and like ripping shit up. Shout out. Should we snap for that? <laughs> oh my God. No, I'm nodding my head. I'm yeah. nodding my head. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'd like to give a shout out to some of my administrators from, uh, Denby High School in Detroit, Michigan. Hey, Mister um, Hafner and Miss Mount, and uh, Miss Manningham. So those three—they really, yeah, they're good people. Nice shout out. Uh, I would like to shout out uh, to my students, not solely my class I have this spring, but all of the students that I have had. <laughs> no, no, they're great. Sorry, <laughs> Women's and Gender Studies Two One, you're great. Um, no, you're 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 part of this group. Um, but um, not all of my students, um, because uh, they they make me a better teacher. Um, and whether it's the students that I have at the university or the students that I have at the um, uh, Washington's uh, Correctional Center for Women, um, uh, uh, students are are. Um, good ways of teaching me to be humble and to, to embrace my profound ignorance on a daily basis. That's a good shout out. So, Thanks. Shout out. I'm going to shout out the, the pod squad, uh, Doug Mackey, Tom Scowell Millward, uh, for doing uh, some excellent producing as well as Angie Hamburg for hosting us up. Oh, look at that. Um, again, thanks to Lace, Jennifer, and Boo for being with us. It was a great conversation. Shout out again to Marketing Communication for always centering the voices of Decenter alum and really um, prioritizing the counter narrative and various voices. Shout out to Doug, our engineer, up, Doug? who gets to sit in on all these conversations. <laughs> and, and, yep. Um, and until next time, thanks, y'all. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Oh.